Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. If you've heard me talk about Christmas before, you've heard me say that I'm always surprised at how little the Bible talks about the actual birth of Christ. I mean, it is, that's Christmas. We are celebrating the birth of Christ. And yet, the Bible says almost nothing about it. We have the, Bi- the story of the Bible, of the birth of Christ in the Bible in two places, the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. And here is the sum total of everything Matthew says about Jesus being born. Mary gave birth to a son and they gave him the name Jesus. That's the birth announcement for Jesus. And Luke's isn't much more. It's not even a full verse. It's just half a verse. This this is what 1,500 years of Old Testament prophecy has come down to. And the Bible writers give us one sentence. Jesus was born. Let's move on. Because they don't actually spend any time telling us about the birth of Christ. What they spend all their time telling us about is how people respond. What do you do with the birth of Christ? So I'm just going to keep reading. If you want to follow along with me, I'm in the book of Matthew, and I'm going to read the first 18 verses of chapter 2. Or you're welcome to just sit and listen if you like. What I just read to you was Matthew chapter 1, verse 25b. Because it's not even the whole verse, it's just the second half. I'm picking up right from there in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will become a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me so that I may go too and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their country by another route when they had gone an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream get up he said take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him so Joseph got up he took the child and his mother during the night and he left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet Out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. 
A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. One sentence about the birth of Christ, but paragraphs about how people responded. There's three responses in this passage to Jesus. The first is the one, if you know anything about Christmas, you've heard it, the Magi, or traditionally we call it the wise men. These are guys, they are from the East, they are from the Parthian Empire. They're not Jews, they're not even Romans. They're not part of the Roman Empire. They are from another country that often fights with the Roman Empire, but they have seen something that has made them pack up and trek all the way from where they are on the other side of the Tigris and Euphrates up into the the eastern part of modern-day Turkey, across to the Mediterranean, and back down again. It would have taken them months to make this journey. They have seen something that has made them come. And they say in verse 2, where is the one born king of the Jews? We want to worship him. You know, the Jews don't have divine kings, ever. They don't do that. Kings are just men. But somehow these guys, they're not Jewish, but somehow they know that this king is different, that this king is to be worshiped. He's not just a man. It says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they're headed for Bethlehem. They're trying to find Jesus' house. And again, they're being guided by something miraculous happening in the sky. When they saw the star, it says they were overjoyed. That's not nearly strong enough, in my opinion, for what Matthew writes. What he literally says in his language is that they rejoiced a great joy greatly. He uses four words, rejoice, joy, great, greatly. He just packs them together. These guys are stoked. They are excited. They are thrilled that they are going to get to meet this new divine king of the Jews. And then in verse 10 and verse 11, they do. They meet him. They bow down. They prostrate themselves before him. They worship him and they give him gifts. The magi have a great reaction to the birth of Christ. They are super positive. They are excited. They rejoice a great joy greatly. They are all in for the birth of Christ. They have come a long, long way to meet this new king. Now contrast them with King Herod. Do you notice the first two times we hear about him, he's called King Herod. In fact, in verses one, two, and three, the word king shows up in each verse because he's born in the time of King Herod, who's king of the Jews. And then the Magi come and say, hey, where's the new king of the Jews? And King Herod, king of the Jews, in verse three, he is disturbed. Yeah, I imagine what I would feel like if after this service I come down and I'm talking to people and somebody says to me, oh, Jeff, what a great way to close out your pastorate. Have you met the new guy the elders have hired through starting in in January? Like, no, no, I haven't. Where's the new king? Oh, king, he's disturbed. Herod, he's not Jewish. He's an Edomite, if you know that people group from the Old Testament. In the Roman Empire, they're called the Edomians. He's not Jewish. And the Jewish people didn't make him king. If you go back and read in the Old Testament, they make Saul king. They make David king. They make Solomon king. 
Caesar Augustus, the Roman Empire, made him king of the Jews. A Roman gave an Edomite the title king of the Jews. The Jews hate him. You can see why at the end of this story. He is despised by his subjects. And when he hears that a new king has been born, who probably is Jewish and might actually get the title, oh, he doesn't want anything to do with that. So first he tries trickery. He says to the Magi, oh yeah, great, very excited. Why don't you go find him and then tell me and I'll come worship him too. Everybody goes off. It's gonna be great. He finds out later, however, that he's been tricked. They don't come back and tell him. They take off in another direction. And you see what happens at the end of this passage. When Herod realized, verse 16, he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave order to kill, orders to kill all the boys. He works out for himself. Okay, when did the star rise? How long did they travel? What's the absolute oldest this kid could be? About two years. And he sends soldiers out into the city of Bethlehem and all the area around it with orders to kill every two-year-old boy and under. And it's not like they have birth certificates. No, no, he looks young, but he's really three and a half. They're slaughtering every toddler in the countryside. They're indiscriminately killing every toddler and baby they can find. His subjects hate him because this is what he's like. The Magi have a great response to the birth of Christ. They are excited. They rejoice greatly, a great joy. And Herod goes on a murderous rampage to kill everyone. He doesn't know which one is the new king of the Jews. Fine, kill them all. And problem solved. The Magi have a great reaction. Herod has a terrible reaction. And then there's one more group. There's actually a, a couple different groups of people, but they have the same reaction. Notice what it says in verse three. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The Magi, this isn't private. They haven't snuck into town. It's not just a couple guys showing up, going quietly to the palace. The whole city knows about it. This is a city of hundreds of thousands of people at this time in history. And the whole city is stirred about this. And probably when the Magi came, it was huge. Because they're advisors to the king of Parthia, one of Rome's traditional enemies. They are a big deal where they come from. They are magicians. They are scholars. They are professors. They are advisors. When they travel, they travel big. These guys probably have a retinue. They probably have bodyguards because they are carrying treasure with them. They probably come in a caravan. When they show up, the whole city knows about it. And the whole city knows they're looking for the new king, the next king of the Jews after King Herod. And then in verse four, it says, Herod calls together 
all the chief priests and all the teachers of the law. Now, all of Jerusalem, that's you. That's just ordinary people, everyone out minding their business. The priests and the teachers, that's me. That's the church staff. That's the people who make their living doing this. The guys who get paid to read the Bible. And Herod knows what the Magi are asking about. He may not be Jewish, but he understands the 1,500 years of prophecy that a new king is coming one day to set everything right. And so he asks these guys, hey, that Messiah guy that's talked about, where is he born? And they know it. Oh, it's Bethlehem. There is one verse in the Old Testament that tells you that, okay? This is the Old Testament. There is one single verse in all of that that says the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, and these guys know it immediately. They don't have to go Google it. They know Scripture. They know the prophecies. They know what's gonna happen. It's not like they come back here and said, well... Okay, some of us think this, some of us think this. We give, about a, we give Bethlehem about a 75% chance. There's this little town called Bethany. It's running about 62. Right there, boom, they know the prophecy. Bethlehem, that's where he will be born. Where Herod sits in his palace when he asks this question, Bethlehem is five miles south of him. Okay, that's Perimeter Mall for us. Five miles that way. I googled it. It would take us one hour and 37 minutes to walk there if we follow the roads. Okay, if we don't cut through people's yards or anything. One hour, 37 minutes. The whole town knows about this. All the religious scholars, all the people like me, all the guys that get paid to do this, they all know that Parthians from the East, magicians, scholars, advisors to the emperor of Parthia. They've shown up looking for the Messiah and he's five miles from here, an hour and 37 minutes to walk. Who goes? No one. At least as far as the text says, no one of those hundreds, and some people think there's over a million people living in Jerusalem at this time. We don't know for sure, but it is certainly hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. Not a single person is recorded going. How many of the guys like me go? Right? How many of the guys who get paid to do this? The guys who know the prophecies, they've studied them, they understand it. How many of us pastors, teachers go? Zero. And again, it's not recorded, but I'm confident that none go because when the Magi don't show up, Herod doesn't say, hey, Joe went too, didn't he? Somebody get Joe over here to tell me where this kid. When the Magi don't come back, Herod has no one to ask. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of priests and teachers of the law in Jerusalem. 15 Hundred years of prophecy may have been born five miles south and not a single one goes to check it out. Why not? I mean, seriously, this, if you're Jewish, this is one of the biggest things that will ever, ever happen according to the scriptures. 
Why doesn't anybody go? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us, but you can kind of come up with some easy reasons. Apathy, life is hard, you've got lots to do, you've got kids, you've got family. I mean, these sermons, they don't preach themselves, right? If I'm an, I gotta preach Sunday morning, I don't have time to go to Perimeter Mall and see if God has appeared. I'm busy. Seriously, 1,500 years of prophecy, what's the chance that it's today? Just, just so, so tiny, tiny, tiny. Apathy, they just don't care. Maybe fear. I mean, as we've seen, Herod's not a nice guy. He plays for keeps. He's not excited about a new king taking his place someday. Maybe people are kind of like, ah, you know what? I'm just gonna stay away from this one. That does not sound like anything I want to get involved in. The whole town knows this. All the religious leaders understand the significance of this and not a single one goes to check it out. The only people who go to check it out are a bunch of foreigners who wouldn't speak Hebrew. I don't know how they got this translated. They're not Jewish. They don't worship Jehovah, the God of the Bible, but they see something and they travel for months to check it out. And I will submit to you that the reactions people had the day, the month, the year after Christ was born, 2,000 years ago, they're exactly the same as we have today. Everybody falls into one of these three camps. Some people are like the Magi. They are excited about the birth of Christ. They, they worship him. Some people hate him. They want nothing to do with Jesus. Like, get him out of here. I don't want to hear about it. Leave me alone. And the vast, vast, vast majority. And we don't know how many magi there are. We, we say three, but that's only because there's three gifts. It doesn't tell us how many magi there were. It's just plural. There may have been two, there may have been 20, there may have been 200, but it does not compare to the hundreds of thousands of people living in that city. The vast 99.999999 some odd percent of people do nothing about the birth of Christ. And let me suggest to you today that doing nothing about the birth of Christ is about the stupidest thing you could ever do in your life. Because this book says that when we die, and one day we're all gonna die, when we die, we're gonna stand before God and we're gonna give an account for our life. And it claims that God does not grade on the curve. He's not gonna look at you compared to someone else because neither do we. You know, I have two sons and a daughter. If one of my sons spits on my daughter and the other one slaps her, I don't say to the one who spit, well, you were so much nicer than your brother, so I'm gonna give you a pass today. You know, I have a zero tolerance policy on violence towards my children, right? That's how God feels. God has a zero tolerance policy towards the stuff he said not to do. He does not weigh out, well, you did all this good and you did all this bad and look, more good than bad. Great, because we don't do that. If I come down off this platform at the end of this service and I've never met you and someone introduces me to you and I give you a hearty handshake and I give you a warm hug and then I kick you in the shins, you are not gonna say to yourself, two nice things, one bad thing. What a great guy. I love this pastor. We don't live that way. Neither does God. Neither does God. God's not okay 
with us doing things he said not to do. And Paul, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans will say, God's not going to use the Bible to condemn you when you stand before him. He's going to use your own words. Because every single one of us has had something happen to us, seen something, and said, that is so wrong. Why do they let him do that? How, is, how could he treat me that way? How could he do that? And then we've gone and done it. I'm driving along on 285 and some guy blows by me at 90 miles an hour. And I say, why do they give people like that a license? Why do they let that? He is going to kill someone that is so irresponsible. And then a couple days later, I'm driving on 285 and I look down and I'm going 90. God doesn't need scripture to tell me I'm a hypocrite. My own words will do it. And so will yours. Every single one of us will stand before God. And I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if he's going to play a tape of all the things I said and then show me all the things. I, I don't know. It doesn't say in the Bible. It just assures us we will all stand before God and every single one of us will condemn ourselves. Every single one of us will have things in our life where we said that is wrong and then we did exactly that thing at some other time. And this book says the only way that you get out of that is Jesus. That Jesus is born into the world to solve that problem. Herod is afraid that Jesus is born in the world to take over his political empire. That is not why Jesus is born. Jesus is not born to save the country of Israel. He is born to save humanity. If you ask him to, he will trade places with you. I deserve condemnation because I condemn myself. My own words condemn me. And Jesus says, I will take your condemnation instead and you will get my praise. I will exchange with you. This book claims that how you respond to the birth of Christ is the single most important question you will ever ask in your life. And yet 99.9999% of people don't do anything. Jesus is going to be born tomorrow. How are you going to respond? Some of us are going to worship him because we have responded. And hey, some people hate him and they want nothing to do with him. Okay, then you won't be surprised when you stand before God and God says, you want nothing to do with me. Okay, fine. Off you go. But don't do nothing. Don't say, I'm busy, I don't have time, I got things to do, sure, five miles, but be like the Magi. Check it out. Check it out, read it for yourself. Ask him. If this is true, if Jesus is God, then ask him. Ask him if he really was born 2,000 years ago. Ask him if his mom really did lay him in an animal feeding trough. Ask him, read it for yourself. But for God's sake, don't do nothing. The single most important question you will ever ask yourself in life is what do I think about Jesus? Now, once you have decided that, amen. Be the magi and worship him, be Herod and hate him and want nothing to do with him. Think it's a hoax or fall down on your face in front of him. But don't, don't be like all of these people in Jerusalem and all of these religious people and do 
nothing. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we so often do nothing. I'm sorry that that you could be five miles away and I am too busy. My, My plans are too set. I have too many expectations to walk an hour and 40 minutes and see if you're there. And so, Jesus, I pray for all of us who have responded like the Magi. We believe you. We have accepted your offer to deal with the problem that that we're hypocrites and we're going to condemn ourselves one day. Thank you. We do worship you, Lord. I pray for everyone who has not, not dealt with that, not thought about that, who's up until now has done nothing. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would talk to them, that you would surprise them, that, that as we sing, as they celebrate Christmas tomorrow, that, that you would poke them and prod them, that, that you would go after them, and that they would be like the Magi. They'd check it out. That they would see these things going on. The Magi didn't know if it was true or not when the star rose. They went and they checked it out. And it was. It was all true. And so they met you and they worshiped you. Lord, I pray for everyone who's never met you that you would be gracious today and that you would meet us. That that you would come and find us. Because whether we know it or not, we so desperately need you. And I pray this for your glory, Lord. Just like we sang, Gloria in excelsis Deo. I pray this, that your glory would be exceedingly high. And I pray it in your name, Jesus, because we pray everything in your name. We love you and we're yours. Amen.